Are you looking to expand your brand this year? Want to make your business stand out above the rest? Well, there's no better way to grow than with your own podcast. Whether you're an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, a small business, or a massive company, you need a podcast in 2024. Podcast Plus is an easy and efficient way for you and your brand to join the podcast revolution. There's no better way to position your company as the go-to authority than with a podcast that showcases your industry knowledge, insights, and expertise. The studios at Podcast Plus are state-of-the-art with top-of-the-line production quality. And if you're just starting out, Podcast Plus offers professional script writing, editing magic, and can conceptualize your show, create your cover art, and get you ready to stream on all major platforms. We'll market your podcast as well, showcasing it on radio stations and digital streams across the country. Expand, enhance, and extend your company and brand and reach potential clients and customers 24-7. Find out more at podcast with the K, P-L-U-S.com. That's podcast with the K, P-L-U-S.com. This show will begin shortly after these messages from our advertisers. Advertising is what keeps the show alive. Your support means they'll continue to advertise and the podcast will continue to be free. This statement has not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Are you in bad pain? You know what I mean. Your knees hurt, your shoulder hurts, and your back. Oh my God, your back. They're constantly killing you. And I'm sure you've tried every pain pill or cream available at the drugstore. Am I right? Well, here is something you haven't tried. Pain Absolve. Pain Absolve is not available in any drugstore. The only way to get it is by calling today. We're so confident that it will work for you that we offer a free bottle with your purchase. No prescription needed. And best of all, each purchase comes with a money-back guarantee. Call now to find out how you can get Pain Absolve and get rid of your pain. Call 800-261-0783. That's 800-261-0783. 800-261-0783. Call today. 800-261-0783. Are you lacking a little something between paranormal and abnormal? You need the Into the Parabnormal store. Now open at parabnormalradio.com. From hoodies to shirts, accessories, and our digital music library, it's all available in the Into the Parabnormal store. Your purchase directly helps support the show. Thanks for buying from the Into the Parabnormal store at parabnormalradio.com.
goodness gracious, great balls of fire. Welcome from the cold, dark depths of a secret dungeon somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest. I am Jeremy Scott. Are you seeing those fireballs streak through the skies? Uh, you know, we are in the peak of the uh, the Geminid meteor shower. We've got some weird anomalies and uh, shooting fireballs that have been seen throughout the sky. And, of course, this isn't anything new, but we've got a perspective tonight that will hopefully bring better clarity to, you know, the trend that we have been seeing of late when it comes to these fireballs and is there something to this trend of fireball activity also we're going to you know get into you know some of the earthquake activity that we have experienced uh, here in 2019 and some of the swarms i'm pleased to have marshall masters here there is of course last night the peak of the geminids meteor shower uh, it is one of the more active meteor showers uh, you know, we always go out with a bang at the end of the year. They say saving the best for last. So if you saw some weird fireball activity last night or early this morning, what you probably witnessed was the Geminids, the Geminid meteor shower. NASA says it's typically one of the best and most reliable of the annual meteor showers. Uh, these meteors brighten fast, 79 thousand miles per hour now as far as fireball activity the geminids are second only to the perseid meteor showers which happen every august when it comes to fireball activity and if you're wondering about the geminids they are named for the constellation gemini the point from which the meteors seem to radiate now that's what's been happening over the course of the of the past 24 hours is literally the peak, the American Meteor Society saying meteors uh, would be visible in, in some places more than 100 per hour. Uh, it just kind of depended on where you were. So we also have a situation that happened over Houston. There was some uh, fireball or meteor activity reported in. Uh, in the past couple of days there as uh, fireballs came through the night sky there in Houston, Texas. Uh, some people said that they uh, it was a, like a blue flash and then uh, a pretty long tail and was very bright and was fast moving and appeared to streak across the sky, leaving behind a luminescent trail. So that happened in the past couple of days. Uh, American Meteor Society says there were 50 reports alone of a fireball seen over Louisiana, Oklahoma, and Texas, uh, apparently around the same time as what happened over there in Houston. So Marshall's really the expert on that. He's a freelance writer, preparedness expert, publisher of YowUSA.com, Y-O-W-U-S-A.com. He's a television analyst, a former news producer of CNN Science Features. He's been researching Earth changes and Nibiru flyby-related topics for the past 20 years. His books address Earth changes, space threats, and sustainable survival strategies and technologies. Marshall, welcome into the Parabnormal. That's good to be here, Jeremy. 
What do you make of these uh, these two stories? First, the I guess the one in Houston is more down your alley. This was a, a fireball that was seen in, in the Houston area and was seen in several other states. I know you've had some time to review that. What's your take on that? Well, I looked at um, there's there's two of them. Uh, the one in Houston is uh, well, that's pretty much uh, your stock standard fireball, and uh, I think it's an excellent report. Uh, the Geminids, yeah. What we're concerned about with the Geminids is stowaways, and I'll talk about that later. Uh, however, the one that really um, the one that really gets me, all right, and uh, and the one that was uh, that I thought it was interesting in terms of what we don't see otherwise was actually Arizona, which is a green fireball. And my first thought on a green fireball is you see something like this when it's uh, like a a first stage of a rocket re-entering. And uh, so what's causing the green are man-made metals. Uh, Or it could be a, a very oddball kind of uh, iron meteorite that could cause it. But my first thing on Arizona would be, you know, did something that went up come back down? That would be my my first question. Uh, Like I said with Houston, (laughs) there you go. That is just a classic fireball. Looking at it, it is just totally classic. Um. The rare spot minimum. Now, this article, I really was, uh, I read through this with a lot of interest. And because you're talking about mini moons. However, the picture at the top of the article is something that was from 20, you know, October 2012 in San Francisco. So the first thing I'm thinking about is, why are you using a picture of something that happened in 2012 for now? I'm going to get back to that, too, because here's the truth of it. Uh, as of uh, January of 2013, uh, the numbers all started going up. In February, was it really kicked in, and it's never come back down since. So this is a picture that predates the trends that we've been tracking with our signs articles on our website. Now we're up, I'm working on signs 46. We've been doing this for years. We've been tracking it. We're tracking meteors, particularly uh, we're tracking fireballs and bolides. We're not tracking meteors. Now let's kind of, for a lot of the people, because you hear these terms and it's like, are these What's the difference? You know what? The difference is little rock, big rock. That's it. That's the difference. So let's go through the terms. You got a shooting star? Oh, that could be pea-sized. All right, that's a little tiny guy. Then you got a meteorite. Well, it could be bigger. And that it hits the ground. A meteor just flashing, shooter star. All right, and these are the ones we, you know, we're out there looking at the Geminids and all this. That's what we're looking at. I don't track that, okay? 
We just not interested in that. We want the big stuff. All right. And, uh, you know, I, you know, I don't want the, the, I don't want the little you go. I want the tank. And that's fireballs and bolides. Now, fireball is that picture is a good fireball. And fireballs, unlike a meteorite, are going to fragment and flash. Uh, fireballs are smokers. You see them during the day? They're leaving a trail of smoke. A bolide is a fireball big enough to detonate, all right, and to set off a flash. And if that detonation is powerful enough, it will generate a shock wave. And then it becomes a super bolide. An example of a super bolide is a uh, 2013 Chelyabinsk. That was 30 event. That super bolide released 30 times the uh, power of the Hiroshima atomic bomb and was 30 times brighter than the sun when it detonated. If it had detonated directly over a city, there would have been a massive death toll. All right. And so this is the kind of stuff that we're looking at. And the thing was, it was an interesting thing about Chelyabinsk because that was that very same day. NASA had everybody looking at another asteroid. And they were going, is it going to pass through the window of probability and all of a sudden come around to smack us in the tuchus? And they, well, they were out on the media, and they were talking, and they were speculating, and it was a lot of fun. And NASA had a total non-event, nothing, nothing, total flop. And meanwhile, this thing detonates over Chelyabinsk. Now, NASA and the Russians, our government, their government, nobody saw it coming, and for the same reason. They saw it coming out of, from behind the sun. And they all said the same thing. We don't look at the sun for these things. Well, that's of concern to me because what's on the other side of the sun is what we've been tracking all these years, Planet X. So what's it throwing at us? And this is, uh, so when I'm looking at this one with the mini moons, and my first thinking is, is this a bolide? And that would concern people. So is using mini moon a way to talk about bolide, but from an angle that doesn't get people upset? Yeah. Just change. That's all, This happens all the time. All you got to do is change the terminology. You know, it's like chemtrails. You're not allowed to say chemtrails. You're supposed to say geoengineering or this. And every time everybody sorts out one of the new terms, then they change it to another new term. And so you never can have the same conversation. And, of course, if you use an old term, oh, you're the worst kind of person in the world. So are the mini moons, is that a new term or is that just uh, something we've seen? You know, is this a new phenomenon or just a new term? Uh, mini moon is, well, not TCOs. Okay. Uh, this is, uh, they're temporarily captured orbiters and what they're saying is you have something it's a big rock and see the stuff that we're looking at 
is orbiting the sun. And what we're concerned about is when that orbit brings it into an Earth-crossing situation, as if it crosses our orbit at the same point we do. (laughs) So, boom, we get hit. So that's what you're looking for. They're looking for the ones that are crossing the Earth orbit. Uh, A mini, you know, this mini moon is something where they're saying it got pulled into the uh, into an orbit and that orbit changed and then it got into the atmosphere and you know they have all this great interesting speculation what they don't have are any useful pictures they got a few of them from uh, a sighting, but I mean, these are off webcams, and you don't really see a lot of detail on it. Um, the thing I'm concerned about when we start looking at mini moons, and we're going in here into the Germanid, uh, excuse me, and uh, which are going to peak tonight, and the Geminids, yeah, you know, it's a yearly event. But what happened? You know, you were talking about what happened last summer with the Taurus, right? Yeah. Well, we were tracking that, too. And what happened with the Taurus was that they were talking about stowaways. Interesting. You know, we get this new language, stowaways and mini moons. That's great. I've been tracking this stuff for years. All of a sudden, these terms are cropping into the lexicon. Why is that? Hi, curious minds like to know. But my concern is that uh, with the Torrids, you know, we saw some really amazing stuff. Noculent clouds, which are, they're up in the Arctic Circle, high altitude, as high as he gets, all right? Noculent clouds is that, that's what we're looking at. You know, this is the kind of environment where you're seeing the, you know, the, the uh, all of the beautiful lights and the, you know, the northern lights. But what happened with the Torrids was it merged with something else in space and it picked up so ways. And these were fine particles of uh, sand, whatever, a lot of small particulates. But what it did was it put enough asteroid dust, if you will, into the upper atmosphere that the noculent clouds came out of position and were seen where they should not be seen. As far south as the Los Angeles area. East of Los Angeles is amazing. They're not as intense as they are up in the north, but still, it was observed. And we're going, what's causing this? And then there were strange sprites that were uh, that went with this. So there were atmospheric disturbances. We have this merging, and it's all of this. Well, this is new and curious kind of stuff. Well, for us, we're looking at Planet X. And we're looking for signs of Planet X. And science is, tells us that a body like this is going to, well, you know, it, it's going to have its own cloud, if you will, of debris. 
And what's happening is the torrents merged with that outer cloud and picked up all the stowaways which brought into Earth. And so that's what we're seeing. And that's the reason why when I'm looking at this uh, story about mini moons over the Australian desert, this is, hold on a second, and they're saying this is the second one, and it's not, you know, it's a convenient explanation. I want to know why are they introducing a new term to people, and why are they using a picture that is seven years old? There could be a, a few reasons. One, they may not have the rights to post the picture, but I suspect there is a photo out there somewhere because... This was in an area where they have basically set up a network of cameras to capture these events, uh, specifically for this purpose. Well, they, it's known they, as they the have, uh, Desert Fireball Network. Right. They have the pictures. Uh, but, I mean, these are not webcams that are, you know, they're not zoomed in. It's wide angle. Uh, so... They caught it. They caught it from several places. I mean, this thing, whatever it was, I'm looking at just if you look in the map, um, they they spotted it from a whole number of places on the continent. So this mini moons, if it had been here uh, in North America. This would have been what we call a multi-state event where the impactor or uh, the bolide, the mini-moon, whatever you want to call it, is just flying in and they don't know know, exactly how to size it. They don't know exactly how to say it. And it's something they haven't quite seen before. It's not fitting a familiar pattern. And again, that's what I come back to on this. And so there's all kinds of explanations. But I look for basic integrity when I read an article. I've seen USGS jigger the numbers on earthquakes for a decade. They don't do it so often because they've been called out on it so many times. And I've seen this kind of jiggering with the information. And so I'm looking at space.com and I'm going, yeah, you know, you're using an old photo and you're using a new term. And that's boom. That's I go. And remember, we're headline readers. People very seldom get past the first or second paragraph in a story. They'll read the headline a little bit, boom, and then they disappear and go off. It's when you get deep into the story that you get past all the salacious eye-catching crud and you get the real story. And um, the and it, so it gets right down for – it's the last paragraph, and i got to read this. As the team states in their study, which was published October 14th in the Astronomical Journal, TCOs are – crucially important subpopulation of near-Earth object, NEOs. Okay, NEOs are anything that near-Earth object, if it's going to cross our orbit. To understand, because they are the easiest targets for future sample return, redirection, or asteroid mining missions. 
I want to read that last line. I'm going to have you pause there, and we will pick that right back up with Marshall Masters. Earth, trend, and fire tonight on Into the Parabnormal. I'm Jeremy Scott. Are you connected with us on social media? Give us a like and follow at Parabnormal Show. Listen up, guys. Are you experiencing any of the following? Fatigue? Less drive? Poor performance? If so, you may be one of the nearly 30 million men in the U.S. today dealing with ED. But did you know you don't have to pay hundreds for a prescription anymore? And you don't have to deal with the hassle of seeing the doctor or the embarrassment of going to the pharmacy for a certain pill. Now, with one free call, you can find out how Herbal Virility Max can help you feel like a man again. For over a decade, Herbal Virility Max has helped guys just like you put a smile back on their face with improved performance and drive. Call today at 800-509-4017. That's 800-509-4017. Save the money. Save the hassles and get the better blue pill. Call 800-509-4017. That's 800-509-4017. Are you intrigued by Paranormal Talk Radio? You'll love the new Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live. You'll find a great selection of talk shows covering UFOs, ghosts, strange phenomena, and much more. Download the Paranormal Radio app now and start listening to the very best in Paranormal Talk entertainment, including the network you're listening to right now. The Paranormal Radio app, free in Google Play and the iOS App Store. Pair Abnormal News, I'm Brad Bernards. A four-armed robotic junk collector will be launched into space by the European Space Agency in what it says will be the first mission to remove an item of debris from orbit. The Clear Space One mission is scheduled for launch in 2025, but the agency hopes the mission will pave the way for a wide-reaching clear-up operation, with ESA's Director General calling for new rules that would compel those who launch satellites to take responsibility for removing them from orbit once they are retired from use. Here's Project Manager Muriel Richard-Noka. We will launch to an orbit of about 500 kilometer altitude, make sure that all the systems are functioning, and then we'll do a burn that will bring us to the height of this cube. We'll get close enough to take a picture of it, make sure that we're not capturing something else, and then we'll do the capture. In the past 60 years, thousands of tons of junk has accumulated around the Earth, including old rocket parts, about 3,500 defunct satellites, and an estimated 750,000 smaller fragments, some from collisions between larger bits of junk. The fragments are typically circulating with a velocity of 12,500 miles per hour. Unless a clear-up operation is mounted, the chances of collisions will escalate as thousands more satellites are put into orbit. 
For the last year, NASA's OSIRIS-REx spacecraft has been circling a large asteroid named Bennu that regularly passes uncomfortably close to Earth. The spacecraft has been painstakingly mapping the asteroid's rocky surface using a suite of cameras and other instruments that will help it determine where to land next year. Once NASA selects a final landing site, OSIRIS-REx will kiss Bennu just long enough to scoop up a sample to bring back to Earth in 2023. Many scientists expect the Bennu sample to revolutionize our understanding of asteroids, especially those that are near Earth and pose the greatest threat from space to life as we know it. Earlier this year, the OSIRIS-REx team witnessed particles exploding from the asteroid's surface, and it's not sure why. Read more about tonight's news at ParaAbnormalRadio.com. I'm Brad Bernards, ParaAbnormal News. Fireball, fireball lit up the night sky for hundreds of miles around and was visible in at least six states. Scientists estimate it is going at least 40,000 miles per hour. A meteor lighting up the sky, a dazzling display caught on camera. I mean, this is pretty incredible. Hundreds of people said they saw it across 100 miles. This bright blue light was followed by a falling object. Many say they also heard a boom. Something else fell from the skies today in Arizona. A number of cameras captured the ball of light. A very large green fireball streaking across the sky. People from Florida as far north as Virginia saw this fireball. Giant fireball flying through the sky. Watch your step. Hide under your blankets. Whatever you do, prepare yourself for what's coming through your speakers into the pair of normal. I'm back with Marshall Masters, and we're talking about fireballs, about the mini moons or the so-called mini moons over Australia. And Marshall's uh, starting to pick this apart for us. Uh, please continue. Yes. And, uh, you know, let me just go through this article. And I want to just spot read a couple of things so that the viewer, listeners can hear. Because we tend to be headline readers. And the real information in an article generally tends to be at the end, where about only 10% of the people who read the article make it to the end. And that's the reason why they have the salacious headlines, but at the end, it's the big bada-bing you really want to know about. Okay, so... Headline, scientists spot rare mini-moon fireball over Australia. All right? Now, I want you to remember, scientists spot rare mini-moon operative word, fireball over Australia. Fireball over Australia. They show a picture. A fireball exploded in the night sky over the Bay Area in San Francisco, And this is from October 2012. So that's the picture. So now we're saying it's a fireball. And they have a fireball picture. But then what they say is, first line, a fiery meteor explosion over the Australian desert may have been an ultra-rare mini-moon, researchers think. So hold on a sec. We got... Fireball. We got meteor. We got mini moon. How do we pull all this together? What's the meaning of this? Okay. What's the meaning of this? Well, you want the meaning of this article, which to me, quite frankly, is spinmeister crap. 
whoever wrote this article was intentionally trying to, you know, don't worry, folks, nothing to see here. But remember, what did they call it in the first line? A fiery meter explosion over the Australia desert may have been an ultra rare mini moon researchers think. That's the first paragraph. Let's go to the last paragraph in the article. And then this is where it really comes together. Okay? And we have it actually towards the, it's about uh, two-thirds of the way down in the article. And here, they actually explain TCOs using a quote from the Astronomical Journal. TCOs are a crucially important subpopulation of near-Earth objects, NEOs, to understand because they are the easiest targets for future sample return, redirection, or asteroid mining missions. Let's define this. Sample return means it's big enough you could land a spacecraft on it to take a sample. We're not talking about something the size of a pea or a basketball. Okay? Redirection. If it's big enough, you can put something on it and redirect it. You can, you know, put solar sails on it. Trust, try and get it out of its orbit. Just nudge it a little bit, and sometimes that's more than enough. But then there's the last three words, asteroid mining missions. Are you going to send someone up to mine a basketball? Or are they going to want to mine something the size of the Empire State Building? So this really gives you an idea of scale. And when they're sitting here and they're saying it's a mini moon fireball, that's an oxymoron, like military intelligence. That's an old joke. (laughs) But that's where I get real suspicious when I see reporting like this, is that it's misleading. Because a mini moon is going to be big enough to be a bolide or a super bolide or just a big doggone mid-bone. But it's long past being a fireball. So this is something where, and this is a standard pattern of what I see time and again, this kind of stuff. Now, I can tell you that we track all of this with our signs articles on Yowza, Y-O-W-U-S-A.com. I have the data that has come in from last month, and I'll be reporting it in a day or two with latest update. But I can tell your audiences, as of November of this year, more fireballs have been observed and reported than in all of 2018. So as of November 2019 is now bigger than 2018. To put 2018 in perspective, 2018 was the highest month, or 2018, excuse me, was the highest year in recorded fireball observations. Let me repeat that. 2018 was the highest year in recorded history for observed fireballs. This pattern is, you know... We're not seeing any re- any relief in it. Not when, as of November of 2019, 2019 is now the highest 
year in all of recorded history for fireballs. You know, in that one article, one of the articles I read, they were they were tracking the same source we use, AMS, American Meteorological Society. Fantastic people. By God, they do a great job. Go visit at their site, AMS Meteor, and donate a little bit to them because they really do a lot of hard work. We pull down their raw data and we process it. And that's what we use in our articles because what we're tracking are fireballs. We don't care about shooting stars. We want fireballs. We want bigger rocks. And so everything's going in the direction of how long before we have something. You know, imagine that mini moon coming in and detonating over Sydney, Australia, as opposed to out in the middle of the outback. Now, that could have been really, really devastating. And uh, you know, one of the things I remember you and I talked about before the interview, you had an interest in uh, grazing fireballs and uh, meteors. And uh, that's just something, uh, it's just going to come in. A grazer is going to enter the atmosphere, but it's just going to shoot out again. So you see it, yeah, and then it's gone. I mean, Marshall, uh, this is amazing because, I mean, you're literally all over this. Uh, I mean, all you have to do is go to Google and do a search for fireball or fireballs, and you'll see all of the stories, you know, pop up. In fact, uh, this what is known as a grazing fireball, they say, was first spotted in 1972, and they're looking back at an incident Mm -hmm. that happened in uh, July 2017 that was actually captured by the same cameras that uh, captured the, quote, mini moon. Uh, I mean, you're literally on top of this. Yeah, and here's what happened. Uh, getting back to the history of our signs articles. Uh, you know, a lot of times when you're doing research, you walk backwards into it. <laughs> you're not looking for it. You just walk straight backwards into oh, it. Oh, you and me both. And Oh, man, you know, it's that's the process of discovery. This is what happens when you pursue the truth. And uh, what started all of this was... We were looking at the Mayan calendar, and we were talking with another researcher and saying, well, there were historical dates that are talked about in the Colburn Bible and other folklore and around, the, around the world. And it just, you know, Sitchin said 3,600 years, but the numbers just don't work. This doesn't seem to fit until finally figured out what Sitchin did was he set us up to fail because Sitchin just, he didn't say 3,600 lunar years. He said 3,600 years. So everybody's using a Gregorian calendar. When you put 3,600 years into a lunar calendar, everything lines up. Lickety split, clickety click, click, click. All right. So that got us interested. And we said, oh, uh, let's revisit the Mayan calendar, December 21, 2012. Now, there are people who say I predicted things, uh, Planet X in 2012. That is a lie. That is a lie. Anybody says that I predicted Planet X in 2012 is a liar. I never did that. I was even interviewed by National Geographic in 2012, and it annoyed them because they said, what is the connection between the Mayan calendar and, you know, 2012? And I said, 
beats me. It's coincidence. And at the time, it was a coincidence for me. I didn't. I told him, I said, I don't see anything in the data that we're tracking that says you have an object anywhere of this size that's a concern right now. No, we're not seeing anything. Well, this conversation that we got about the difference between the calendars got us looking back. We went to December 21, 2012, and we said, all right, what's really happening here? If it's a true prophecy, true prophecy always has a harbinger. doesn't say, on this day, you're all going to die. It says, on this, this day, you're going to see a harbinger sign. And then you know you are on the timeline of a catastrophic event, so you can prepare, mitigate, or even avoid it. And what the ancients did was they used the skies. The skies were the most reliable way of dating anything. And they had amazing viewing skies. We don't know what viewing skies look like. When was the last time you looked up and the stars were so thick you felt like you could just walk from one to another? When was the last time that happened to you, Jeremy? Mm, um, maybe when I was really drunk. <laughs> maybe that wasn't celestial either. <laughs> <laughs> Which was a long, long time ago, by the way. That's right. That's right. So, you know, I mean, let's let's give ourselves a mulligan on this one because they've been messing up the viewing skies longer than you and I have been drinking. So, <laughs> you know. The ancients, they had these viewing skies. And it was a celestial alignment from a specific place that you would see something. For them, it was seeing, you know, the the center of the Milky Way. All right? And what they said was, you know, and, and... that was not the event. Everybody's going, oh, well, when we passed that, there were all kinds of theories about a galactic superwave and other problems that we could have. And they all said, no, that's dismissed. No, it wasn't, because it takes about, once you get to that center plane of the galaxy, it takes about 50 years for us to transit it. So uh, all those prophecies have yet to come true. And... The thing that was amazing, though, is if you have a legitimate harbinger, you're going to see it in the data. It's just you can science the hell out of it. And that's what we we started doing that. We started sciencing the hell out of it. And we started saying, okay, let's go back. We went, I think, back to 2010. And we moved forward. Now, Now, in 2010... AMS changed their reporting methods, and so it increased over previous years. So there was a jump starting when they redesigned the reporting process, making it more efficient. But that still has normalized that, and we still have the same trend over year, over year, over year. And what happens is the minute you get into especially February, 2013, that was when fireball numbers started going straight up. Hasn't come down since. Since February 2013. And why, again, why did that, why why did they start going up? Because we have 
the Planet X system that is coming in. And it's like, think about the bow wave of a ship. You know, the way the dolphins like to get out there and play on the bow wave. Well, there's a bow wave. Now, we have the Kuiper Belt, New York Cloud. We have clouds of debris around our system. Planet X is in the Planet X system. You have Nemesis, and that's the brown dwarf, and this mini constellation. And then you have various planets and moons. And around that is the ball of dust, which from a brown dwarf is real considerable, full of iron, because... Brown dwarf has enough mass to ignite, but it can't uh, keep fueling a nuclear furnace, so to speak, like the sun does. And so, like charcoal in a backyard barbecue, it banks off. Except it just takes billions of years to do it. You know, God, man, that's if you want to have a ka-ching, pay like a stuck slot machine barbecue business located near Brown Dwarf. <laughs> that's it cold hot coals for life but um, it's coming in and it has this cloud of dust and debris and uh, we figure that probably from what we're seeing the size of the planet X system is approximately the orbit of Jupiter it's about that big if you go out to its furthest extent, it's equivalent, if you will, of our Oort cloud. And uh, that's what we're interfacing with right now, is this outermost stuff. And so, you know, on the very fringe of it, it's going to be very, very small. But as you approach, you get to the bigger pieces. And the bigger pieces turn into fireballs and bolides. And if... Something draws them, dislodges their orbits, then it's a problem for us. And it's also, Planet X system is like a huge cue ball coming through. You know, you get out there and you set up, you rack your balls, and boom, the whole thing. You want the cue ball, so literally everything's heading for the pockets, right? Well, same thing is happening with the Planet X system. It's like a cue ball. And it's sending stuff that normally wouldn't be any problem for us. And it's making it all head for the pockets, head in different directions. And so we're seeing new objects in space which are more consistent with this. When you start looking at mini moons and all this, it's Gee, this is curious. We didn't see it before. Da 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 da. What an interesting phenomenon. I'm going, hey, Yahweh, baby, big rocks. All right, so now the question is when you look at the overall pattern, December is the big bottom month for fireballs. This is it. So this is showtime. January falls right off. All right. This is historic. This is historically, right, Marshall? This is historically, yeah. You can look at our. You know, we put the data up so that people can see it and follow it. It's good that I can talk with you and expose folks to this information. But what we're doing is giving them the science. Here are the numbers. Here is the trending. 
We put it in bar charts. We put it in line charts. We put it in three-dimensional charts so that people can look at it and feel a sense of what the information means as opposed to just throwing numbers at them. And a whole bunch of names for things that don't seem to connect. And when you look at what's really happening, it's huge. And we're just, this this year, it's, it's worse than 2018. Ka-chunk, 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 ka-chunk. We're consistently coming in higher. And now we are higher than 2018. And 2018 blew us away. And so the question that we're wondering is, all right, when did the chickens come home to roost? When is it all of a sudden we're going to get through the, this uh, asteroid dust that uh, was stowed on the torrid stream over the summer? When all of a sudden we get out of the we get out of the tiny stuff, we Planet X is getting closer. And now we're getting the big chunky stuff. That's what hurts. That is what's going to hurt. And what it's going to take for people to really wake up to this and become aware of it, I'm sorry to say it. Somebody's got to die. A lot of people have got to die. Otherwise, no one's going to take this seriously. And that, for me, as a researcher, breaks my heart. Because I can see death coming in the numbers. Well, if everybody starts taking it seriously, what would be the next steps then to really do anything about it? Uh, Because aren't these events just going to come regardless? They're going to come. You can't stop them. All right? And, you know, there's a lot of surface on our planet. And so for something falling and hitting on you, it's one thing. But there's one thing I keep telling everybody to do about this, and they laugh at me. Everybody thinks I'm being comical and I'm making a joke. And it's, you watch the old, from 1952, Bert the Turtle. You can find the video. I use it, put it up some of my articles. You can find it, Bert Bert the Turtle, on YouTube. You can watch the whole thing. Now, Bert the Turtle was designed to teach kids what to do if there's a nuclear attack. And you have you know, that, that initial flash of light. What do you do when you see that initial flash of light? And that is a whole duck and cover strategy. If people would just sit down with their children and watch that a few times little bit of repetition. Talk about it with the children. Yeah, it's old 1952, but it's smart information. Why in, in Chileblinsk in 2013, a lot of people were damaged by, hurt very bad by flying glass. And you know, the one thing they never talked about was how many people got blinded. And I'm sure there were quite a few. Blinsk detonated. Remember, it's 30 times brighter than the sun when it detonated. What did all these Russian folks do? They saw this huge flash. They went to the window to see what the heck it was. Or as they would say in Russian, 
Okay, so they're looking. And you have the overpressure wave because it was a super bolide. It was a big rock. Okay, hold that thought. We're having a little trouble hearing Marshall, and what he's saying is darned important. So we're going to hit our break here, and we're going to push redial and try to get back with Marshall and continue our conversation. Earth, trend, and fire tonight with Marshall Masters of YowUSA.com. I'm Jeremy Scott. Stay tuned for Paranormal News with Brad Bernard, only on Into the Paranormal. of overpaying for the little blue pill what if you could get the exact same results for just a fraction of the price guaranteed well now you can with sildenafil the active ingredient in the blue pill with 20 milligram generic sildenafil tablets you get the exact same results for less than two dollars per pill and again the results are guaranteed that's right absolutely guaranteed results for a fraction of the cost of the little blue pill So give your wallet a break and call us toll-free at 800-367-9583 to get your generic sildenafil delivered discreetly to your door. And of course, while saving hundreds of dollars, you'll also be saving time by saying goodbye to those long, embarrassing pharmacy lines once and for all. Again, just call 800-367-9583 to get your generic sildenafil with a 100% money-back guarantee. Getting your pills doesn't get any easier or cheaper than this. So call 800-367-9583 now. You can follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at Parabnormal Show to stay up to date. Yeah, man, I'll tell you what, that dang old internet, man, you just go on there and point and click, 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 click. Join our group for live chats, news, and discussion on everything somewhere between abnormal and paranormal. Send us a direct message through the contact section at parabnormalradio.com or by text at 818-672-6865. Stay connected into the Parabnormal. There's no sensor button here. Just don't tell YouTube. You're traveling into the paranormal with Jeremy Scott. Marshall Masters is my guest tonight. The show Earth Trend and Fire, and there is a trend of fireball activity on the uptick, as Marshall has uh, outlined for us. 2018 was a record year for fireball activity, and then along came 2019, and, well, it just surpassed. 2018. So safe to say we are living in a time in an era of record fireball activity. Uh, this is a trendsetter. So Marshall was talking about Chelyablinsk, which was the 2013 bolide in Russia. Uh, please continue uh, your train of thought, Marshall. 
And let me give you some context, because we're talking about Chucky Blinsk in 2013. Now, 2013, we saw a total, we reported on uh, fireball totals. Uh, for that year, we reported approximately 3,500 fireball, fireball sightings. All right. To put that in context, here we are in November of 2019. So how does November 2019, in other words, the first 11 months of this year, compare with 2013 when Chelyablinsk happened? Chelyablinsk was about 3,500 total fireballs for the year. This year, we have already observed approximately 6,100 fireballs. By the end of the year, it'll be twice that of 2013. And if you look at our articles, you'll see this wasn't high, low, maybe this, maybe that. It's starting with 2011, where there was, and 2011 is the reason why we cut that. 2010 was when they changed the reporting at AMS. So we wanted the 2011 numbers. 2011 is about 1,700. 2012 is around 2100, 2013 around 3500, and it just keeps going up that way year after year. 2012 higher than 2011, 13 higher than 12, 14 higher than all of them, 15 higher than all of them, 16 higher than all of them, 17 higher than all of them, 18 higher than all of them, and 2019 first 11 months higher. It couldn't be something that's coming into our solar system and that's in our solar system that's kicking stuff at us and throwing rocks at us. If it's something that we're, we're closing with it, the data we're reporting clearly shows the fireball activity the, as we progress over the years from 2011 through to 2019. We keep merging closer and closer and closer. Okay, so this is, you know, look at our fireball stuff. It's not a high one year and down the next and high up. It's consistently getting year after year. It's there. Marshall, clarification, is that 6,100 across the U.S. or worldwide? AMS reports North America. So they principally do Canada and America. And you have other activities Elsewhere. So, you know, the interesting thing is what we're saying is like is already this year we've had over 6,000. That's just in North America. That's not counting everything that's been observed everywhere else because AMS doesn't report it. And it's too broken up, too scattered, difficult for us to, to, to track that. So we just track AMS. Um, yeah, the bottom line is it's just even when you're just tracking North America alone, the numbers are very dramatic and very, very serious. And so we have this pattern. And so now what can you do? I mean, there's no way to prepare for falling rocks, all right? But there is. And I was talking about Bert the Turtle, and I even sent you a link to that on YouTube. And I sure would appreciate if you'd put it up for your uh, listening audience. Moms, dads, sit down with your kids and watch this old Cold War propaganda film because it has the right information. Your kids need to know it. 
You know, I was talking about in 2013 in Chelyabinsk when that bullseye, super bullseye, detonated. The flash got everybody's attention, lit up the inside of the houses. So what did people do? They run to the windows, and Russians have these nice, big, thick, you know, double, triple, plain windows. And uh, they ran to the windows to see what it was just in time for the shock wave from that detonation to smash into everything and blow the windows right into their face. And people wound up having to go get literally just get charged of glass picked out of their bodies. And God knows how many lost vision or, you know, or were permanently disfigured. It was pretty ugly. They didn't report that. We wouldn't, we wouldn't want it to happen here. Now, the whole thing about Bert and the, you know, Bert the turtle is that it says the minute you see the flash, here's what you do. You duck and cover. Now, the same thing, whether it's an atomic bomb or a super bolide, you got a flash, you got a shock wave, these things, and you once you see that flash, what you have to do is duck and cover. And the whole point of duck and cover is to get out of the way of the shock wave so you don't get a face full of glass. All right? And this was the whole point of that film. So, listeners, sit down with your children. Watch this together. Make it as interesting like Bert and Ernie or whatever you do with your kids. And make sure they don't see it once but make sure they see it again and again and again at least once a month make it kind of a special thing that you do the Bert and Ernie the Bert the Turtle Day and you can make jokes and talk about it laugh about it but you want to get it into the kid's head what to do because there are very specific instructions on where to find cover how to duck all how to do these things if you do that it's the most effective thing you're going to be able to do. It is it going to, you know, save you if you're ground zero? Tough darts, farmer. If you're ground zero, you're ground zero. But if if you're not that far from ground zero, and you use duck and cover from this old Cold War strategy, odds are you're going to come through it unscathed. And if not. You're going to have a long wait in the emergency room to get the glass picked out of your butt and your face and your eyes and whatever. So there it is. Now, let's, you know, with that, any more? I think we pretty much covered fireballs. Any other questions there? Well, I was interested in uh, your thoughts on the uh, fireball in China that happened a couple of months ago. That seemed to uh, be a big deal, was it really, in reality? The one, uh, the fireball in China? Yes. We followed it. It didn't strike us as super spectacular. It was, you know, we track all of this stuff. The things that we zone in on um, is not, you know, where it's it's standard. It's just good, reliable reporting. The stuff that really triggers me is when I start seeing them getting Fancy with terminology and headlines like this, uh, you know, uh, this Australia mini moon story. 
So we didn't see anything with that that really, you know, grabbed my attention. And I'd have to probably go back into look at that and see how we reported it, if it was significant from other things. Otherwise, you know, if we don't have something really starkly unique, don't do it. You know, you were like had the one from, I believe, was uh, Houston, where it was green. Now that. Again, you know, we're, we're thinking about, you know, a low-stage booster could be a spacecraft, uh, could be space junk falling. And, uh, you know, on something like that, it's easier just to say it's a green fireball than it's uh, a deorbiting rocket booster. That tends to unnerve people a little bit more. But so green, green is again, rare? It's rare that we see a green fireball? Yeah. Yeah. It, that's usually an alloy. If you're going to have that, that's what we would look for first. I'd be on something like that, and it's green. It could be there's something in a naturally occurring uh, meteor, or it tells me that it's space debris, falling space debris. And if I were really going to spend some time, I'd I'd really be looking for, you know, combing for reports of uh, deorbiting space junk. Do you track or do you have a sense of how many of these, you know, fireballs break up in the atmosphere? Because, uh, you know, the uh, the grazing ones, those basically come into the atmosphere and then fly back out again. And I'm just wondering how common that is. That's not too common. Uh, you, you know, you have you got a fast mover and uh, it's it's moving at a speed where. It could be a grazer, you know, it could be something where, okay, on this orbit, it grazes, on the next orbit, it'll tighten, and then you're going to see something happen. There's something called the COSI mechanism that's real useful to keep in mind. COSI mechanism was uh, something that goes back to the 1950s. Uh, It was a Japanese astronomer, Yoshida COSI. And what he did was he explained how two objects in space orbit each other, where you have one that's bigger and one that's smaller. And which is the case where we have Nemesis, uh, which is the sun at the heart of the planet X system, and in its orbit in around our sun. All right. And what the COSI mechanism says is over time, if it's an unstable orbit, And it is a comet-like, unstable uh, orbit. And it stretches way, way. When it comes up in the northern skies, it's pretty tight. Where it really gets distance is when it goes into the southern skies. And that's where it spends most of its 3,600-year orbit. But what happens with the COSI mechanism is... That is an inherently unstable orbit, and once you have an inherently unstable orbit, one of two things will happen. The smaller object will fall into the gravity well of the larger one until it finally smashes into the bigger object. Or it gets cast out and literally flies right out of the system into deep space. So that's what's what's going to happen. All right. And the thing that makes it interesting with the COSI mechanism is that 
you see something that it's a grazer, something comes close, and then it could tighten up in its orbit, and the next time it comes around, boom, we get smacked. So we're looking for evidence of COSI mechanism with this, and that's something that um, I and my researchers that work with me on this, this is what we're looking for is evidence of COSI mechanism where you have an alteration of an orbit. This happens all the time. Comets come in, they, maybe they get big enough to pass by Jupiter and get it caught by Jupiter, and all of a sudden their orbit is dramatically reduced or another object. So that's what we're looking for is COSI mechanism, signs of that alterations in the orbit of an object and all of this all of the signs everything that we're seeing right now is worrisome it's just worrisome we just have this year over year pattern of increases and we have more anomalies that are happening you know more people you know more stories coming out well gee who do who knew? This is interesting. This is different. Yeah, that's the stuff we look for. Marshall, uh, we're also seeing an uptick. Uh, is, would it be safe to say when it comes to uh, earthquakes as well? Yes. And earthquakes is, here's where in this last year, um, <clears throat> we've really had to uh, make a big change to the data sets that we're tracking because we saw trends within trends. And this really started within the summer of last year in Hawaii. There was a huge amount of swarm activities, microquakes. And this just totally, I mean, 2018, hands, hands away, is the biggest month be the biggest year excuse me for earthquakes 2018 and this year we're probably about 10,000 short of breaking that record by the end of December unless the numbers come in pretty dramatic for December it was just so huge but this year we started following three swarms that we wanted to look at well how does this how does this swarming act play out. We want to study this because we're seeing it in our data. And what we found, and if you go on, by the way, on my site is Signs 45. I'm going to talk about that. Uh, a quiet holiday season, question mark. And um, so I get in there and we have all the numbers for this. But earthquakes, this is something that really is it's bizarre. Hawaii was massive, but in 2019, we had three other swarm events. And it's still as a single event larger than the three that we're tracking. All right. And uh, these three are from, if you get down into our, and it's in there, it's in our data sets. We're tracking China Lake, Alaska, and Northwest Territory. We're looking at the western side of North America, western shore bordering the Pacific. And what we see is that in July, uh, China Lake had a huge warming, huge. And 
When you look at the numbers, you see that that swarm is still banking off. And even though it's banking, off, it's still maybe 20 times higher than the statistics for the previous year. With Alaska, we saw a swarm, not as big, and it died off very quickly. However, Northwest Territory, uh, not so quick, but it doesn't. So we're looking. China Lake is subsiding very slowly. But when we look at Northwest Territory, we're talking Cascadia. Uh, we're seeing it's falling off, but faster than further south at China Lake. Then the third swarm data set is in Alaska above the other two. And it's the one where the swarming falls off the sharpest. So it could have a swarm, but the activity sharps off. Now, how are we? We're looking at this and we're going, what is the number? What are the numbers telling us? And what we believe we're seeing, we, uh, it's the J.P. Jones. He's the researcher on this. And he came up with this story. Magma rivers. That, that Think about the service of our planet. We have... Like the Mississippi, yeah, big river, tributaries, and streams, and lakes, and all kinds of stuff. All right? And then, but there's you got the mighty Mississippi. Well, what we're seeing with our planet is that, you know, this, this started over a decade ago. In the southern hemisphere, in the South Atlantic, we started seeing polar flips. Polarity flips, or little regions of the South Atlantic, north becomes south, and south becomes north. And we're seeing the North Pole moving erratically and quickly, and uh, as a matter of fact, a lot of, you know, airports have had to repaint their runways, uh, the numbers on their runways, because it's changed that much. And so there is, uh, there are clear signs that we are building towards a magnetic pole shift, where the whole planet north becomes south magnetically and vice versa. So we're saying, all right, we have have this situation in the southern hemisphere. This is where it's starting. How is that translating? Well, imagine that beneath our continents, we have rivers of magma. Huge systems like the Mississippi with branches and tributaries and rivers and reservoirs and so forth. Magma is fluid, like water. It'll follow the path of least resistance. And are we saying there's more magma? Because bear in mind, 2018 will probably, even after 2019, still stand as the year with the highest number of earthquakes of all magnitude in recorded history. That's very likely it could stay that way even through 2019. The only way it would be different is if we actually took out the swarm data, extracted that, and then the way 2019 is standing up right now probably will beat 2018. So that's how big the anomaly in 2018 in Hawaii was. That's how big it was. Hold that thought, Marshall Masters with me. It's Earth Trend and Fire tonight. 
I'm Jeremy Scott. From the cold, dark depths of a secret dungeon somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest, Brad Bernards has paranormal news right after this. Don't venture too far. You might not make it back into the paranormal. Life Change Tea. Log on to GetTheTea.com. Find out why so many people reorder this product. The results will blow you away. If you have health problems and need help, order Life Change Tea at GetTheTea.com. That's GetTheTea.com. If it didn't work, no one would reorder. We sell a one-year supply at a discounted rate. Two eight-ounce glasses a day helps keep sickness away. Read the numerous testimonies of how thousands and thousands have been helped by drinking Life Change Tea. Many talk show celebrities are not only talking about the tea, but using it. Feel good, lose a little weight, and enjoy your life at GetTheTea.com. That's GetTheTea.com. You can also call our friendly staff at 928-308-0408. That's 928-308-0408. Life Change Tea. All natural, USA, no caffeine, great tasting detox drink. Join the leaders who have taken control of their health. GetTheTea.com. Lights up episode is brought to you by Audible, with over 180,000 titles to choose from in every genre. Play them on your iPhone, Kindle, Android, and on more than 500 devices. Audible is offering you the opportunity to check out their service for free. When you go to audibletrial.com slash parabnormal, you'll get a free audiobook to download and a 30-day free trial. A-U-D-I-B-L-E trial.com slash parabnormal. Pair Abnormal News, I'm Brad Bernards. NASA has completed the core stage of the giant rocket that will take U.S. astronauts back to the moon. The space agency's head announced Monday pledging the mission would take place in 2024, despite being beset by delays. At a towering 212 feet, the Space Launch System core stage is the tallest rocket stage NASA has built since the Saturn V stages for the Apollo missions. NASA Administrator Jim Bridenstine says we are making significant progress towards achieving the Artemis III mission and getting our first woman and next man to the South Pole of the Moon in 2024. This time when we go to the Moon, we're actually going to stay. We're going to learn how to live and work on the surface of another world for long periods of time so we can take that knowledge to Mars. We're going to learn how to live and work utilizing the resources of the moon. The Artemis 1 mission will likely take off by June 2020, according to the audit report. The first test will be uncrewed. NASA plans to land on the moon's south pole in order to exploit its water ice, discovered in 2009, both for life support purposes and to split into hydrogen and oxygen for use as rocket propellant. When a human being's time is up in Western countries, we generally have two main options for our mortal remains, burial or cremation. Now, a world-first facility has been set up to offer a unique alternative ritual to traditional choices, compost. 
Recompose, which is scheduled to begin operations in Seattle in 2021, bills itself as the world's first human composting facility, offering to gently convert human remains into soil in a process it calls recomposition or natural organic reduction. This is Katrina Spade, CEO of Recompose. A body is covered with natural materials like straw and wood chips. And over the course of about three to seven weeks, thanks to microbial activity, it breaks down into soil. That's courtesy of KIRO News. The company became a legally viable service this year when Washington passed a historic bill to become the first U.S. state to allow human composting. Read more about tonight's news at ParaAbnormalRadio.com. I'm Brad Bernards, ParaAbnormal News. Very strong shaking. Wow. I think we need to get under the desk. The state of emergency in California, where the governor is asking the White House for help after the largest earthquake in Southern California in 20 years. Meanwhile, people on the ground there bracing for more aftershocks and the possibility of an even larger quake. A 6.4 magnitude earthquake. There has been an earthquake of a magnitude 7.0. This is a major earthquake. We're getting some of our first pictures of some of the damage. Very strong shaking. Wow. I think we need to get under the desk. All right. We're going to go to break. Uh, we'll, we'll be, be right, right back. back we'll be right back. Wow. There's no censor button here. Just don't tell YouTube. You're traveling into the Parabnormal with Jeremy Scott. Marshall Masters, my guest, YowUSA.com, YowUSA.com. It seems like we're going to come down to the wire uh, based on what you've told us. The data is going to show uh, that earthquakes, in addition to fireballs, are, are on the increase. Yes, and our earthquakes are, we're running neck and neck. Now, you know, the thing is, if we look at the earthquake data for November of 2019, it is higher historically than any month for November dating back to 1997. That data set tracks back to 97. And so 2019 is the highest month. And several of the other months, this is a consistent pattern. But, you know, it's statistically speaking, 2018 Hawaii is still what they call the rat and the snake. (laughs) Snake eats a rat and you see this big lump passing through it. And uh, that's what we call the rat and the snake statistically. So 2019... Uh, is it could in terms of we take a true definition we include swarms we have to wait and see how the numbers come out uh it's a close call it's neck and neck but this is not a fun horse race all right this is one trifecta you don't want to (laughs) win and that's what we have right now so we're watching this and but we are what we're doing right now is we're looking at particularly the swarming activity, because the swarming activity is consistent with J.P. Jones, uh, you know, mag rivers of magma hypothesis. And so what it's saying to us is you look at the Pacific plate, which is the biggest tectonic plate on the planet, and it covers both northern and southern hemisphere. It's huge, almost equally about the same. And on the northern end of it, this is what we call the ring of fire. 
All right. And on the eastern edge of the Ring of Fire is the western edge of North America where we're tracking our data sets. Now, what J.P. Jones is saying with his hypothesis is we have this huge river of magma that's coming up from the south into the northern hemisphere. And what's happened is it's not where there's hotter magma. It's not that there's more magma. Those things haven't changed. What we're seeing in the data, what the data suggests, is velocity is what's different. That as a result of this, the forces building up for magnetic pole shift, this river of magma is running at flood levels. And the swarms are the result of this river of magma hitting blockages. It's a block, and the magma can't go anywhere, and all of a sudden you have a ton of microquake activity. And then something breaks loose, fluid you know, is going to find a way. And then it disperses and goes around. And so we're saying, well, if this is consistent with our river of magma hypotheses, what's the data? Well, the furthest data set we're tracking is China Lake. And that's really worrisome because that's fought not too far from a supervolcano, Long Valley Caldera. And Long Valley is more of a concern to me than Yellowstone. Yellowstone blew its limestone cap. Uh-uh, not in California, not yet. And it's a single huge magma chamber, and it is not, it's not redistributing. It's just inflating and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And this is a lurking threat. If you live in Las Vegas and it pops off, you're going to be in the first city in the United States where we see cannibalism. It'll be that bad. If you're in California, anywhere from the Bay Area down to San Diego, not good. You're in Arizona. Phoenix, not good. All right? It could just really be devastating, and we're looking at that. And this is China Lake is what's really, when I'm looking at the data sets, particularly with swarming, China Lake is the one that we're, because we're seeing with China Lake is the slowest degree of subsidence. From the swarm, whereas that that subsidence occurred faster north of that, around the Cascadia zone, and then when you get up into Alaska, you're at the furthest extent. In other words, you're you're just out at the edge of the river. Now you're out in the tributaries. All right, and so when that blocks and it generates a swarm, it subsides. Very fast. And so it's the subsidence rate. And that's what we're tracking right now. And we want to see how this plays out into 2020. And with particular concern for the summer months, June, July. Because apparently this is, you know, these summer months from June through, you know, these periods of June through August. This is where we have these swarms. This is where, where it's happening. 
And if we start seeing massive swarming activity again on the West Coast, that is when, frankly, if you live on the West Coast, uh, if the real estate market is good, take the money and run. I'm going to say it again for you folks in California. I'm a native son of the state, okay? When you start seeing heavy swarm activity in 2020, sell. Get the hell out of here. It ain't going to be good. Yeah, it and, ain't going to be good. And China Lake, there was also some activity, not only seismically uh, around there, uh, which was where that one of the earthquakes that was felt in the L.A. and the Las Vegas area back this summer was centered. But there was also some uh, there was an aircraft that crashed an actual Navy uh, Super Hornet that went down okay. there at China Lake, which adds to the conspiracy of what the heck's going on there. Well, it's concern, you know, and it's interesting that it crashed. Here's something because we tracked this when this started happening back around 2010. In that time frame, uh, we were tracking the flips in the South Atlantic. And back then, uh, you know, we were really getting into this new generation of fly-by-wire aircraft. And what happened was a couple of these new fly-by-wire designs crashed. They just, boom, fell right into the sea. And we believe what happened was that uh, these aircraft flew into a zone where there was a magnetic flip undergoing, and the aircraft instruments simply could not make sense out of it and crashed the airplanes. Now, there's a parallel to that with the MAX 8. The Max 8, there were two in 2018 and in 2019, two Max 8s crashed. All right? So like 350-some-odd people died. It was tragic. And it was all because somebody at Boeing was pinching pennies to get a bonus. It, was, it wasn't about good engineering. There was used to be a time when pilots would say, if it ain't Boeing, I ain't going. They don't say that no more. You know? Boeing has, with this MAX 8, really devastated themselves. And the problem with the MAX, they had an AOA, angle of attack, all right? And it's a sensor. Now, you have sensors in the aircraft, and you you have two sensors. And so uh, there's there's ways, if one sensor fails, you're going to handle procedures, and you have pilot intervention and all of that. You have a way to do it. With this, what they did was they buried it so nobody knew what was MCAS, and it had only one sensor. And if that sensor failed, the software would use that to literally take control away from the pilots. Both aircrafts, the the air crews were fighting desperately to save their lives and the lives of their passengers. Both aircraft crashed because that one sensor failed. And because the sensor, angle of attack sensor failed, boom, the software flew the airplane into the earth. That's it. All right. So this, this is the problem we have with all this new fantastic aviation we have with fly-by-wire. In the old days, you know, it was all mechanical. It was a heck of a lot safer.
And uh, we're, you know, so now we, by the way, uh, when that happened back in 2010, um, the Russian Air Force, which was definitely going to fly by wire with their aircraft, they actually banned overflights in the South Atlantic for some time. They wouldn't let their own military forces fly down there. All right. Of course, this isn't reported. So you have fly-by-wire aircraft, and they're falling out of the sky. This is a real problem. Now, the question is, is what are they going to do about it? I'd like to see. And uh, this is a problem. But with the earthquakes, it's building and building and building and building. And we've been seeing literally, if you go back and you look at our data and you look at January of 2013, it's like Roadrunner Coyote. You know, Roadrunner would get on the Acme rocket, light the fuse. He'd go up, you know, boom, 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 zoom, zoom, zoom. And then the engine would sputter out. And, the, you know, Coyote would look, oh, my God, that's it. And and as a kid, it was always fun to watch Coyote crash down in the canyon. Uh, you know, let's not be this cavalier. Because I got news for you. Since 2013, the Acme rocket has not sputtered. Every year, the coyotes getting higher and higher and higher. And this is for both fireballs and meteors. Meteors. Or fireballs, excuse me, and earthquakes of all magnitude. And so, for us, it's when is it a matter of something happening? And there's no way for us to refine the data so that we could pinpoint one specific area. There's no way to do that. But one thing is for sure, by tracking the swarm activity and particularly the fall-off rate, what we could be seeing is that a possibility that if we track the J.P. Jones rivers of magma hypothesis, that there could be, we could foresee something happening before in enough time that people could, the ones that are astute, are going to just say, okay, kids, we're going to Disneyland in Florida, whatever the heck, we're getting the hell out of here. Okay. Now, nine out of 10 people are going to laugh at that, which is why in a global disaster, nine out of people, nine out of, nine out of 10 people are going to die. Yeah. Okay. And there are going to be the ones that are listening to this interview right now and they're being mindful and folks for you listening out there i don't care if you believe me or not opinions are like you know that certain part of the anatomy and we all got one right i'm saying go look at the data we're putting the hard science up for you this is take it to the bank hard science in these science articles go look at the data well, and then use that information. Marshall, and I know you've been busy writing your book, but just in the past few days, there was a report that came out from researchers at Oregon State University who looked at the Cascadia and the San Andreas faults and found that uh, an earthquake, literally, if it would if it would happen, that it could trigger, uh, they say, with no separation in time. Does that tell us anything that we didn't already know about the uh, San Andreas uh, and Cascadia faults? 
And I'm looking at the Newsweek article, and um, Cascadian and San Andreas, and maybe linked with earthquakes on one. You know, well, I got to send this off to my team. Thanks for the link. Yeah, you know, I've been working on the book so much. I get in my man cave and get lost with it. But I just want to read this right off the top. Uh, the Cascadian San Andreas faults may be linked with earthquakes on one triggering event. Uh, on one triggering events in the other, with minimal or no separation in time, scientists have said that this is completely consistent with J.P. Jones' rivers of magma hypothesis. This is it. that that is the interconnection between San Andreas and Cascadia is a river system of magma. Why couldn't there be, if we have river systems above, you get into the ocean, you have currents. You have, literally in the ocean, currents are like rivers within a sea. Okay, this is how fluids move around on the planet. So why should magma at the bottom of the lithosphere be any different? And so all of this could very well be something where, yeah, the San Andreas, and it's, because Cascadia, that's, that's in my neck what of the I was woods. telling you. Yeah. Where are you at exactly? Uh, Portland, Oregon. So what you want to really start doing is you're looking for swarm activity along the eastern, north, northeast edge of the Pacific Plate, which borders with the western edge of North America going up, you know, into Alaska. And... The Cascadia zone, you're, you know, you're in the, you're there. Actually, I think you're just a little south of it, but you still, if Cascadia pops, you're going to get a tsunami. Uh, it'll be a lot of problems. So if we're tracking the swarms and we start using swarms as an indicator, like we did this year where we saw a pattern. And it went, ran north along the edge of a plate. And it was stronger at the bottom, somewhat stronger in the middle, and weaker at the top. And that is consistent with huge magma moving, rivers of magma moving up around the edge of the plates where it's you know, going to be able to find a way to move and heading north. And the swarms are the blockages, and the blockages result in other problems. So. That's what I would say for you, Jeremy, is you want to be mindful of swarming activities. You want to see events where they're saying, oh, my gosh, we had 10,000 microquakes or something. You want to know where that is. Well, as far as those uh, folks who are along the San Andreas Fault, I mean, they really haven't had a large earthquake in probably 100 years or more. That includes, you know, Los Angeles, San Francisco, San Diego. Uh, seems like they're about due. They're overdue. And that's what they're always saying. They're overdue. I mean, I see geologists are, they're not, you know, they're doing their level best to try and get the information out to people and without scaring them. And I, I have to say is that the volcanologists, seismologists, geologists, all the folks in science over here on the West Coast, uh, they're not playing the games. They're really trying to get people aware to get them to 
know, do things that'll, you know, ways for you, ways for individuals to, to survive something that's going on. What I think is, you know, it's a good idea is situational awareness. This is, you know, ducking cover, like I was saying, is good for the, you know, your kids. You have a fireball. But also you could take that duck and cover approach and you can go more to talking about when you have an earthquake and what you're going to do. And I was, I, you know, I was in the 1989 Loma Prieta. I was just a few miles south of the stadium. And I can tell you that was one hell of a frightening thing. You've been through something like that. It's going to leave a crease in your life. You never forget. And, you know, there's things when, when it comes on that there, you're going to have perhaps just a few seconds, three, four seconds to react. And if you're sitting there using that time to go, well, golly gee, hey, fellas, you ever seen anything like this? Forget about it. You know, fate's going to find you. But if you're mindful and you have a sense of situational awareness, all of a sudden you start hearing a huge roar that sounds like a freight train bearing down on you, then you don't stop and ask somebody, hey, Phyllis, what do you think? You know, what you do is you get yourself to somewhere where a structure is not going to fall on you. Because in an earthquake, it's not the earthquake that so much that's going to kill you. It's what the earthquake is going to cause to fail and fall on top of you. That's what's going to kill you. And I can remember when I was in uh, the Loma Prieta in San Francisco in 1989, all of it, every one of us that lived through it, I mean, it was the first question you asked everybody else, you know, where were you? And the first thing they'd say was, thank God I wasn't on the toilet. <laughs> and, uh, but you, you have to be able, when something happens, that situational awareness, you're thinking about it. You're just not la, 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 la. And all you're doing is looking at your smartphone. You don't see the rest of the world around you. Something like that happens instantaneously. You're not going to wait for somebody to explain it to you. You're going to just go do it. And you know, people laugh at you. Let them laugh. Just go do it. Well, Marshall, I certainly want to keep my finger on the on the pulse of this, and if there's certainly anything breaking um, on this front, we'll have you back sooner. But I think this, I think we should do this show every year at the end of the year and kind of put a wrap to what has been. Uh, we know now uh, increasing fireball and uh, earthquake activity. So, thank you so much for coming on the show. You're welcome. You're welcome. And uh, you know, it'd be nice to come back. Uh, I'm working on getting my next book out in January, which is going to be titled Win-Win Survival Communities, Prepare for Cooperation, Not Confrontation. And when that's out, be sure it'd be nice to come back on. And certainly, uh, those are that's some vital information as well, because as Marshall said, if, if he were you, he would get out of California, he would seek higher ground. Ground Zero is certainly not the place you want to be during this uptick. Well, friends, it has been a pleasure to be with you for this entire year. Uh, we've really grown a lot in 2019. We've taken the show on the road. 
Uh, we've seen listenership increase. Uh, number six on the Paranormal Radio app uh, is a great place to be as we wind down 2019 and head into 2020. So we'll be taking the next couple of weeks off to spend the holidays with the loved ones. And we'll be back in early January, keeping our finger on the pulse of what is going on out there somewhere between abnormal and paranormal if you've not gone to the website yet and you're looking for a last minute christmas gift for yourself or someone else we've got a brand new store up at parabnormalradio.com and there's 20 percent off until christmas just go to parabnormalradio.com for the promo code my thanks again to johnny cobb and jerry mccoy for the end of the parabnormal theme song i'm jeremy scott night night friends happy new year Thank you for supporting our advertisers. It keeps the show free for everyone. This statement has not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. No offense, but are you a little fat when you look in the mirror? How do you like to learn the secret to losing three to five pounds a week without joining the gym or going through any crazy diets? It's called Body Sculpt RX. For the last two decades, we've helped countless people lose thousands of pounds. And now it's your turn. Learn how to lose weight with one simple phone call and no prescription needed. You'll see an amazing difference in a matter of days. Don't believe us? We'll offer you a risk-free money-back guarantee. So if you're ready to start losing weight, call right now and get a free month supply with your first order of Body Sculpt RX. Call now. You have nothing to lose but the pounds. 800-395-4207. 800-395-4207. 800-395-4207. That's 800-395-4207. You've heard me talking about My Patriot Supply for a while, and things aren't getting any easier. From global conflicts and unstable supply chains, when shelves run on empty, you don't have to panic. Choose peace of mind with their three-month emergency food supply to keep your shelves and your stomach full. In an emergency, you won't have the time, resources, and ingredients to prepare your meals in the way you're used to. But you can get a leg up with My Patriot Supply. It's a three-month emergency food supply. You don't have to skimp. It's ready when you are. It's disaster-proof. And no food boredom here. 20-plus flavorful food and drink varieties. My Patriot Supply is offering a special deal for Into the Parabnormal listeners when you go to parabnormalradio.com slash food. Get your My Patriot Supply today from parabnormalradio.com slash food. That's parabnormalradio.com slash food. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.